welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up, BFW's weekly show, where we hit on all the biggest news of the week. There is no bigger news, of course, than Bayern Munich starting its Bundesliga season on Friday. Recording this on a Thursday, so you'll get my takes before the match. If you need to hear what I had to say about the Bayern Munich versus Werder Bremen match in detail, check out the preview show, which published on Wednesday. You can get that, then you can hit this show, and then, of course, you can pop over and get our post-game show once the Bayern and Werder Bremen match is over on Friday. As of now, that could be me too, but it's not set in stone, so it could be a heavy dose of me over the next few episodes, but I assure you, for the flagship show, you will have a couple of other people to hear from. So if you're sick of me by that point, that's good news for you. But I think like anyone right now, I, I want to say that the general feeling around these parts and these parts are BFW should be excitement. Now, last weekend could have been a bucket of cold water dumped on everyone because Bayern Munich had the extreme high of getting Harry Kane and all the excitement that came along with that to the awful low of being smoked by RB Leipzig on Bayern's home turf in the DFL Super Cup, which was embarrassing, frustrating, scary in some respects. It, it was not good in the end. And Thomas Tuchel lit his team up after the match through the media. That garnered some response from some ex-players. Uh, you can probably guess it wasn't super popular in the locker room itself, but we haven't heard any fallout from that. Either way, Tuchel is doing what he does, and that's assessing things without pulling any punches. And he's going to do things his way, whether it's the right way or not. Tuchel is making his mark at Bayern Munich, and this is it. This is where the test really starts for all of the talk around the DFL Super Cup. It is a glorified friendly, and yes, I would say that even if Bayern won the match. Of course, you would want to see a good game. You would want to see Bayern win, but in the end, the season starts now. Werder Bremen on Friday. Bayern Munich should be ready for that. Tuchel has some tough decisions to make. We did find out today that Usar Mizrahi and Serge Gnabry could be out, which certainly would have changed my predicted lineup I had in the preview show. Uh, those are just two of the injuries that Tuchel is dealing with. We, of course, don't know the full state of health for Thomas Muller and Eric Maxim Chupo-Moting. Both have been practicing. Both have been cleared to play, but it's really uncertain where Tuchel thinks that those two fall. I've got some thoughts on Muller's status on this team in a bit, but yeah, you should be excited about this season. We enter every season excited, right? Like everything is fun. It's going to be a new adventure. It's a whole journey that we all go on together, but this one is a little bit different. You have this whole specter of Tuchel who is very polarizing. People like him, well, some people like him, some people hate him, some are just in the middle. And it's very few, it seems, that are in the middle. It seems like he has his diehard fans who think, basically think he can do no wrong. And then you have the people that look at Tuchel and say, he can't do anything right. I'm in that probably small minority in the middle. I don't necessarily like him or what he's doing or how he's acting, but I don't hate him and I respect him for sure. I just don't know what, if everything that he is doing is right for this club is right for this particular group of players. And it certainly remains to be seen how it all plays out, but 
there are some red flags and we will talk about those over the course of this show. Uh, but what I did want to start with was just a little bit of transfer news because there are two players who have garnered a lot of attention over the last few months that are nearing the end of the transfer window. And I'm talking about Benjamin Pavar and Ryan Gravenberg. Pavar has openly talked about wanting to leave Bayern Munich. And that was even back in like January. Over the course of the last few weeks, we've seen many stories indicating that Pavar has told the club he wants to leave, although Thomas Tuchel has denied that. But either way, we're seeing that Liverpool, Manchester United, Chelsea, some of those teams have been linked to Bavar, mostly Manchester United at this point. But we did see Inter Milan throw its hat back in the ring. At one point, you had both Milans, you had Barca, Madrid, Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United. You had a whole slew of teams that were interested in Pavar. But as this summer has gone on, those teams have started to fill those voids on their roster. And Pavar, for all of his good qualities, has not seemed to garner enough attention from one of these clubs for them to make a really serious offer to Bayern Munich. We we had heard that Manchester United submitted a lowball offer, which was soundly rejected by Bayern Munich. But now it remains to be seen what happens next. I would expect that Manchester United will come back with something a little bit stronger. And I would also think that Inter Milan, the, the interest that they have is probably pretty serious at this point. The one wild card in all of this is Arsenal because Jurian Timber experienced an ACL tear, which will sideline him probably for the majority of the season. And if not the majority of the season, then uh, the full season itself. I mean, I, I personally, with a young player like that, would rather him not come back this season if I was Arsenal because I would want him to be fully recovered and hope that maybe not for next season, but the season after he's back at 100%. ACLs are such a tedious injury to recover from. And I think that Timber is a is a good player, but he's certainly the kind of player who could be replaced by Benjamin Pavar. Now, Timber plays center back. He can play right back as well. Pavar seems like he would be a perfect fit in London with Arsenal. So we'll see if they get involved in the bidding as well. I'd actually put that in the Daily Schmanker column in the morning on Thursday. And by mid-morning, I wasn't the only one connecting those dots as we had started to see reports that Arsenal could be interested in Pavar. Either way, when you talk about Benjamin Pavar, you talk about a player who can bring a lot to the table, but right now he does not look like he's focused on Bayern Munich. It doesn't necessarily look look like he wants to be there. And if he's not fully invested in doing the best that he can for Bayern Munich, you certainly don't want to keep him around. But because Nusar Mizrahi is banged up, Josip Stanisic, for whatever reason, missed the last match. Could have been an injury, could have been something else. We don't know. But either way, it does look like Benjamin Pavar will probably find himself in the starting 11 against Werder Bremen on Friday. It's not such a bad thing if he's focused and he's on point, but if he is distracted by all of this transfer talk, Pavar, when he looks bad, can be very bad. For the most part, we don't see those kinds of performances from him. But he did not look good last Saturday against RB Leipzig in the DFL Super Cup. And if I was him, I'd want to go out and I'd want to put together a much, much better effort than he put there because not only would I want Bayern fans to remember my legacy a little bit differently than that match, but I'd also want to prove myself to some of these teams who are interested in me. And it seems like he wants that Manchester United move, but it's very unclear at this point if Manchester United is willing to pay for him. So right now I'd say the serious contenders for Pavar at this point are Manchester United and Inter Milan. 
with Arsenal on the outside looking in uh, potentially as, as a serious wild card if they can get the finances together to make an offer for Pavard. With Gravenberg, it's almost a little bit similar. We see Manchester United and Liverpool as the two primary places uh, that are interested in him. Uh, I think Gravenberg might actually have a little more interest in Manchester United, given the Eric Ten Hag connection there. But Liverpool has been all over Gravenberg for months now. It seems like Jurgen Klopp really has an idea for how he wants to use him. Either way, I do think Gravenberg could use a change of scenery because I... <laughs> Listen, we have been lucky on this front all summer that Gravenberg had some, uh, I don't want to say disgruntled behavior, but he was, you know, he had expressed his beliefs about what he should be doing at Bayern Munich earlier in the summer. But since then, it's been very, very quiet. And I think that's been a targeted decision for him because he doesn't want to be a distraction for one. And he wants to be able to facilitate this transfer going through by making it easier on Bayern Munich to let him go. The latest reports we see on Gravenberg is that the club, even with all of that good behavior by Gravenberg, is still a little bit uneasy about letting him transfer away, which is to me very confusing because Thomas Tuchel just came out today and said that he views Gravenberg as more of an attack-minded player, which means he would fall into that number eight or number 10 position, which both of those are overly stacked at Bayern Munich. Of course, when you talk, talk about the 10, I mean, you only need to look at two names. I'm not even going to count anyone after these two because these two occupy all of the time anyway. And of course, I'm talking about Jamal Musiala and Thomas Muller. That's not even factoring in any of the younger players that could step in there, like Paul Vonner or Arian Ibrahimovic. Uh, it, it, it does not include players like Serge Gnabry, who wants to play centrally behind the striker, but is unable to convince any coach to actually let him do that. There are plenty of people to play the 10, un unsurprisingly. At the eight, <laughs> this is where it gets a little complicated because no one really knows how to classify Yashua Kimmich these days. It seems like Tuchel wants Kimmich to play the eight. But either way, you do have Conrad Leimer and Leon Goretzka both there. If Tuchel really does consider Kimmich as the number eight, then you have three. So listing Gravenberg as a player for those two spots makes zero sense to me. And I'm not even saying he's a six because I don't I don't think he's that. I do think he's an eight. But how are you going to get Gravenberg enough playing time to appease him, to keep him quiet, to make it worthwhile for his development? I don't think you can. I think if Bayern Munich wanted to do right by the player, they would sell him. I think he wants a move. He has been on good behavior since earlier in the summer. So he should get some credit for that. I mean, I know it's stupid. You're getting credit for something you should do anyway. But but he's been good this summer, and I don't anticipate he'll unravel between now and the end of the transfer window. But if he doesn't move on and his prospects for playing time do not appear to be improving, I think we are going to see Mr. Gravenberg hit the media time after time and try and force his way out during the winter transfer window. And if that's what he wants... Ultimately, if I'm Bayern Munich, I want to try and facilitate that. I want to try and make some money on him as well. But I think the way the club is set up right now and the fact that Goretzka doesn't want to leave, I, I think it's just too much of a log jam there in the midfield. If it requires Bayern to go out and get a less expensive depth piece, then fine. But I think you have Rafael Guerrero who can fill in a role in the midfield if you needed. You also have Jamal Musiala who could drop a little bit deeper and play the eight if you needed as well. I mean, at one point, 
a year, year and a half ago, they were talking about Musiala potentially playing the six, which kind of thought was absurd, but it means that some coaches think he can do it. So you have some depth on the periphery if you need it. I just think if Gravenberg doesn't want to be at Bayern, then let him go. Let him go, move on. And yeah, listen, it was a deal that didn't work out. We've seen it time and time again with Bayern when they try and bring a young player in and integrate that player into a very veteran core. It's tough to get playing time. Not everybody can do what Jamal Musiala has done. And uh, Gravenberg certainly has not done that yet. So uh, I would move on from Gravenberg. Obviously, I would move on from Pavar because he doesn't want to be there either. But Bayern has some decisions to make. Those two moves would certainly hurt the team's depth, but those might be necessary to keep things progressing, keep locker room harmony in check, and uh, and make things better for everyone involved. So that's the latest on Benjamin Pavar and Ryan Gravenberg. We'll see how those situations play out in the coming days. One of the other big topics at Bayern Munich over the past couple of weeks has been what in the hell is going on with Manuel Neuer, right? Neuer, of course, that ill-fated ski trip, broke his leg, has not recovered, had a secret surgery late spring, early summer. Apparently now with the latest reports, we're finding out that Neuer is making good progress now. In fact, the team is so encouraged by what Neuer is doing that they're not going to go out and get that number one type goalkeeper we had seen them link to. Uh, and, and listen, I know there was a, a, a fervor about this and that a lot of people thought Byron was going to have to go out and spend money to get one. And if if there were really, truly doubts about Neuer's health and his ability to come back, I think everyone would have supported that. But there's always been this lingering question about what is going on with him. Now we know he's at least tracking to get back earlier than many thought, but what he looks like at that point is really what's going to determine whether Byron's, Byron's going to have to reassess the goalkeeping position uh, at some point during the first half of the season. For now, it does look like Sven Ulreich is going to get the call. Uh, Ulreich, listen, I, I've always been a, a person that has backed Ulreich because I think he's a good team guy. I think he's someone who has done what he's needed to do for the team. He has been a good backup to Neuer. He's been a good confidant to Neuer. They have a very tight goalkeeper's room there. I didn't believe that if Neuer was projected to come back, that going out and spending money on Stefan Ortega or someone like that was going to be necessary. But that was all contingent on Neuer. And now, like we've said, he is coming back at some point relatively soon. So the club's moving on, putting that confidence in Ulreich. And then they're going to take a look at the market and look for a developmental type goalkeeper, someone who might project to be a number one at a big club like Bayern Munich in the coming years, but maybe who is not necessarily there. Of course, we see goalkeeper Daniel Peretz from Maccabi Tel Aviv, who is a player who has done some good things on the international stage, certainly has a lot of good talent, a lot of good potential. Uh, I don't think it would take a lot of money to get him. It's just curious to see how he would fit in once you get Johannes Schenk back, once Alexander Nubel returns to the club, which will probably be on the short term. Uh, there are definitely some possibilities about the ways that Bayern Munich could go and approach this. In the end, I think it was definitely an unwise decision to trust too much in Neuer 
when they decided to let Shank and Nubel go. Uh, whatever happens with Neuer and whenever he ultimately comes back, there had to be at least some question at that time internally at Bayern Munich about how quickly Neuer was going to be able to recover and get back. To just let those two players go when you might have needed one or both was a little bit silly to me. I, I almost get it with Nubel, though, because he has become so angry about his situation at Bayern Munich that you might really want to let him move on, spread his wings elsewhere, and hopefully showcase himself enough to get a good offer for him. But Shank was one that, you know, I understand you want to get the young kid time and you send him to a, a lone club where he can get that PT that he needs. But there's definitely an issue with depth. and not knowing what's going on with Neuer and with the club, not really being a hundred percent sure about Ulrich and what he can do. I just don't know how you let them both go. But again, what are under the bridge at that, at this point, Peretz is someone who they're looking at. If he can, if Byron can go out and get him and bring him in, and if he can accept that deep role on the squad, it might be worthwhile, but I don't know how you're going to convince Someone around that age, and I think believe Pretz is 23, how you're going to convince someone that this is a good move because, you know, in the end, if you're that player, you don't know how long Neuer is going to be around. I mean, Neuer could, once he comes back and once he's cleared, could he could not be anywhere near his, his old self and he could be someone that might not last this season. Or he could come back fully healthy and play for three more years. It's just such a variable you can't really account for it if you're trying to plan. And I don't know if I was a young keeper, if I would want to gamble like that. We already know what happened to Nubel when he tried that gamble. He lost badly, and he's pretty miserable about it, it seems. I don't know if I'm a 23-year-old kid if I want to take that chance, although it is the opportunity to work under Neuer. And if Neuer is receptive to helping a player like Peretz, which, again, we don't know exactly if Neuer would want to play that mentor role just yet. But uh, I, I think if you're a kid that wants to take that opportunity to learn, then, then maybe, yeah, I think it would be a good move. But I can't say it as, you know, as someone trying to project themselves into the mind of a 23-year-old kid, I would have to probably lean toward the experience of just playing and being on the field rather than being in that top-notch training environment every day. And I know there's there's inherent value to that. There's a, I mean, it's it's a great thing, but there's nothing like match play, and especially for a goalkeeper. And you could probably argue that Nubel took a step back in his career by taking the Bayern Munich deal, because if he had stayed at Schalke or if he didn't even move to another club where he would be a featured goalkeeper at that point, he could be much further along his development and probably a lot happier as well. So the, the goalkeeper situation, probably not going to change. It's probably going to have a lot of variables over the course of the next few weeks until we get an idea if Neuer is not just healthy, but healthy enough to compete at a very similar level to where he was before that ski trip, that infamous, infamous ski trip. Uh, right about now, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at a very controversial topic among the Byron fan base, and that is where does Thomas Muller fit on this team, if at all, anymore? So stick with us. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. This is Chuck Smith. Thanks for hanging in there after that commercial break. 
Of course, as I touched on before we did take that break, we are going to discuss Thomas Muller. Now, if you listen to Bavarian Podcast Works, you know that there are some hashtag Muller Mafia members who take the mic, and they are very adamant about their support of Muller, where he stands. But I had to question myself this week, because as I'm reading the comments at BFW and interacting with some people on Twitter and talking to people on our site, it became apparent to me that a lot of people think that when Mueller's healthy, he's just going to walk back into the lineup. And I just don't see it. And I, it sounds weird because I actually think Mueller should be the starting 10 on this team. Uh, I know that's blasphemy, and I know that pushes Jamal Musiala out of a starting role, at least at that position. But I think Mueller provides a certain amount of stability to the team and leadership on the field. And I think if you've invested in a player like Harry Kane, then you need a player like Mueller to compliment him. I think it's a very simple thing in my mind. And I know that Jamal Musiala is the future. I know that everyone wants Musiala to play the 10. I, I know everyone wants to see him excel there. He's not been himself now for almost a calendar year, right? I mean, what are we at? Like maybe eight months, nine months of this now? And it doesn't mean that he's a bust or he can't get back to where he was. Surely he will. But as of right now, I, and I've said this ad nauseum, I want to see that kid in a position where he's going to be able to break down defenses without worrying about getting beat up. And where you can do that is putting him at wing. So playing Muller and Musiala, to me, is the solution that will get the best out of Kane. I think you, with the way that Tuchel could rotate his wings and even playing Musiala at the 10 as well to rotate Muller out, I think you could have a really dynamic rotation with Muller, Musiala, Gnabry, Sané, and Coman. Like that's, those are five great players for three positions. What better way to, than to maximize those players than to keep them rotating, keep them all fresh, and keeping them healthy? I think it could be done. I don't know if Tuchel has the stomach for that. I don't know if he's got the appetite to do that. Uh, for me, it, it's, it, it makes perfect sense to, to figure out a rotation and to make it work. But I don't know if Tuchel's going to do that. Tuchel has not shown the inclination to move Musiala off of the 10 position. Now, we have seen rumors stating that Tuchel would consider it, but nothing more than that. Yeah, I would consider a lot of things. Doesn't mean I'm going to do it. So for me, when I see this, I don't believe anything about Tuchel having some plan to play Muller and Musiala together. I don't see Musiala getting bumped out to wing to make room for Muller. What I do see is a lot of stories coming out trying to quell that tide to stop what's about to happen in terms of fan fury because I think once Muller is fully healthy, he is going to have a string of games where he's going to be on the bench and that he'll be making sub appearances. And all of a sudden we'll start hearing this spin about how Mueller's so valuable off the bench and he can impact the second half of games by not starting. And that's a great role for him at this stage of his career. I think we're going to hear all of that, but I think in the end, if Musiala can't get back to the form he was in, in the first half of last season, I think this is going to be a lot of scuffling. Harry Kane solves a lot of problems, and we will talk about Harry Kane in a little bit, but he's not going to be able to pass the ball to himself. He's not going to be able to set himself up. 
you're going to need players who understand how to work with a top flight striker, how to create space for that striker, how to set that striker up, how to operate in a way that you're maximizing the investment that you just made in that striker. I don't know if Musial is there yet. I think there are still some immature points to his game. I think at times he forces things. At times, he still looks for his own shot too much, even when he doesn't have an opportunity. He has become careless with the ball at times. Now, these are all things that any player, and especially any young player, might struggle with, especially when trying to navigate that tough area of the 10 where you're being beat on by a defensive midfielder, a couple of center backs, sometimes the outside backs. There's, there's rarely space, and there is always trouble in front of you. It's a tough position for anyone. So I don't knock Musiala, and this isn't to cut him down or anything like that. He's a great player, and I think he will continue to progress. But he hasn't been in the best form, and I don't think right now he's the best option to play there. I do think at some point, if you use a rotation, he absolutely is among the best 11. But I don't know, as I said, if Tuchel will make that kind of move. So in the end, do I think that Thomas Muller has a role on this team? And honestly, right now, I don't. I think that he is going to be a sub. I don't think he's going to get a lot of playing time. I think he will not be able to impact games like we have all seen him do in those short moments. Over the past few years, we have seen a lot from Muller. We have seen a lot of great things. We have seen some listless performances. I think when he comes in as, as a sub, he's not as engaged. And he can't impact the game the same way because he's not out there as long. All the movement and all the passing that he's able to do, that's all set up over the course of 90 minutes. Coming in for 30 minutes and trying to make an impact that way, he's no longer that kind of player. He's a marathoner and not a sprinter. He's going to need to be in there from the get-go if you're going to maximize what he brings to the table. And I think by doing that, you will also maximize what Kane brings. Now, it doesn't mean Harry Kane can't be successful without Thomas Muller. He certainly can, and he certainly will be. I have no doubt about that. And hell, I, listen, I'm saying this right now. Musiala will probably go out and feed Kane three assists, and Kane will end up with a hat trick, and everyone will forget about Thomas Muller for the time being. But there are going to be times where the, the level of play is going to be stepped up, where people are tired, legs are heavy, and you're going to need to think a little bit more through things where that fatigue sets in and all that physical beating that the forwards are taking, that's going to start to weigh on the team. And that's when you're going to really need a player like Muller to be able to take the thought about the game to the next level and, and, and problem solving and providing those solutions on the field that maybe a player like Musial is just not ready to do yet. Of course, I do think he'll get there in his career, but for now, if it was me, I would do that rotation. Muller would be my first choice 10. And if that meant starting Musiala as a first choice wing to, to appease everyone, then I would do it. And I think, as I said, you can make that rotation work with those five players and get a lot out of them. And I think it would be successful for Tuchel. Then again, I'm just some tool bag sitting here with a microphone and Tuchel's getting paid millions to make these decisions. So what do I know? Anyway, Thomas Muller, what his future is like at this team, it's all going to depend on what his role is this season. And I just don't think that Tuchel wants to invest in Muller. Didn't think Nico Kovac wanted to do that. Didn't think Carlo Ancelotti wanted to do that. 
but we all know how it worked out for those two. And if you remember Julian Nagelsmann, he also was another coach who really essentially found Thomas Muller to be useless for most of his tenure, I think. But as Nagelsmann evolved with the team and Muller continued to show that he can perform at a high level, Nagelsmann started to find new and creative ways to use him, including playing him side by side with Musiala. And I think that, you know, as I've said before here, right when Nagelsmann was figuring it out and he was piecing together how to best use all of those players on his roster, he had one bad game, went on a ski trip, and that was that. The club has had enough. Uh, again, that ill-fated decision there, I, I still am perplexed by it, still don't agree with it. But Nagelsmann had really, in my mind, just figured out how to make it all work. And then one bad game did him in. Either way, he's not here. Tuchel is here. And I just don't get the picture for a lot of players, or not a lot, but a few players, that Tuchel's going to find a way to use them or that he even wants to find a way to use them. And I would include Muller and Leon Gretzka at the top of that list. I would keep an eye on how he feels about Kingsley Coman and Dio Upamakano as well. I get the impression that Tuchel likes his wingers to be more of a scoring threat than what Coman provides. I think Coman is more of that creator and disruptor. Not quite sure that Tuchel values that as much as players like Sané and Gnabry, who are, I think, better equipped at putting the ball in the net. As for Dio Upamakano, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just have this vision of Matthijs De Ligt and Kim Min-Jae being the top flight center back choice for Tuchel. Again, a rotation there would do everyone, I think, I think it would do everyone good, but we'll see what Tuchel ultimately decides on. What do you think about Mueller? Where does he stand? What kind of future does he have with the club, if any? Is he the best person to play behind Harry Kane? Tell me about it. I want to know your thoughts. Hit me up in the comments or on social media. Love to know what you would have to think about that. And finally, how I want to close the show today is... I want to ask this question. How hyped are you about Harry Kane right now? So last weekend, we were all caught up in it. And it was a tidal wave of excitement about this deal potentially getting done. Even as I record this a week ago, we were still unsure what was going to happen. There were some reports that he was going to sign. Then he was backing off of it. He wasn't sure. Either way, the deal got done. Now it's time for the reality of Kane. And I think this first week, in Germany, probably was a little bit eye-opening for Kane. Of course, it started out with a very lackluster team effort in the loss to RB Leipzig. Now he's had to start to adjust culturally and lifestyle-wise uh, by being in a country where he doesn't know the language, uh, talking to teammates or trying to communicate with teammates who might not know or understand English as well, obviously, as he does. So there's definitely a gap there. And then you factor in, no, I don't know if his family is, is with him yet, but having to get his family over, get them settled in, it's a lot to absorb. Now, listen, I'm expecting Harry Kane to go out and, and be a professional and, and do what he does best, and that's put the ball in the net like there is no tomorrow. Unfortunately, there's the real life part of that where he's got a lot on his mind. And I, part of me wonders if he's going to be able to handle all of that initially until he gets fully settled in and how much that's going to weigh on him this is not an easy situation for a player like Kane who is so who was so settled in in London he was a player who had everything he needed right there 
Now he has upset his own apple cart with this move. And again, I'm expecting him to handle it and, and to go out and perform. But there is a part of me that says, Harry Kane is going to struggle for the first month or so here. And then he's going to settle in and rip it up. But this could be a tough start for him. And I'm not even predicting it, but I'm just trying to be human about it and trying to think about what it would be like to make that move at this stage so late in the game in the transfer window and not just trying to, to learn how to play with my new teammates, uh, to, to be able to overcome the language gap that might be there when you're trying to communicate quickly and on the fly. Like I don't know if some of the players are going to be able to process their own English quickly enough to say something to him or if he's going to be able to spurt out anything in German quick enough to, to get their attention. It's really going to be a fascinating case to watch out. But either way, however you think this is going to go for Kane, you have to be excited about it. I am super, super excited to see what he can do. With Robert Lewandowski, you knew what you were getting. You knew that you had one of the top three, if not the top striker in the world at the time. I would rate him at number one on the list uh, as far as how he performed in his last season at Bayern Munich and how he performed the previous three or four seasons before that. He was just that good. Now you have Kane, who is at or near or at the same level as Lewandowski, a few years younger, looking to chase these trophies. He wants to win in, in the worst way. He wants to win so badly, he uprooted his whole life to try and do it. So it, it shows me he's committed to it, and that alone has me excited for this. So I hope you're engaging in that excitement as well. I know there are some naysayers out there who think that this was a, a terrible deal and that Kane's washed at this point. I don't think he's washed. I don't think it was a terrible deal. To pay for a striker now, a top-tier striker, you're paying nine figures, and that's just how it is. There's no getting around it at this point. As much as we don't want to see Bayern Munich spend that kind of money, they did, and they would have had to no matter what, no matter who the top three strikers were. If you wanted one of them, you were paying that much at a minimum. So be excited about Kane. Be hyped for this game. You should be super thrilled to see Bayern Munich play Werder Bremen. And hopefully it comes out in a good way for all of you fans because it would be nice to have something fun to talk about rather than people being angry <laughs> or depressed or both. Uh, we got enough of that last weekend. Uh, I need no name himself. I, I was getting a little bit worried about him. <laughs> He took that loss hard. Uh, so did Samarin. But they made a lot of very salient points in their podcast because a lot of stuff they talked about are legitimate issues with this team and reasons to be concerned. For now, though, I'm going to let the Kane excitement carry me. I'm not going to worry too much about all of those concerns. And if we're sitting here three or four weeks from now and Bayern Munich scuffling, they've they've lost a game or two, maybe haven't looked great. That I probably will ramp up my concern meter, but for now, I am going to to ride the Harry Kane wave. I'm going to be excited. I'm going to enjoy this. It should be a fun way to start the season, and uh, hopefully Tuchel doesn't alienate the team <laughs> uh, after week one because it might not end so well for him if uh, he can't get on the same page as his players. So that'll about wrap it up for this version of the Weekend Warm-Up Podcast. As I said, if you haven't checked out the preview show, please do break down the Bayern Munich versus Werder Bremen game. There'll also be a post-game show coming out after the match. And then, of course, the flagship show will drop late Sunday, early Monday, depending on what's going on. 
So keep an eye out for all that stuff. Keep checking the site, BavarianFootballWorks.com. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get Tom at TommyAdam71. You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get the site at BavarianFBWorks. That's where Tom works his magic mostly, where you can get all of our posts, links to those, and all of Tom's great discussion topics. He does an excellent job working our social media channels for us. Uh, If you want to hear or read anyone else on the site, go to BavarianFootballWorks.com. You can get all of our podcasts there. You can get all of our posts there. And uh, join the community and engage in the discussion. That's where all of the best work happens on our site. It's not really driven by us, the staffers. It's driven by you, the community. So have a great weekend. Enjoy the match. Have a couple of beers on me. And we will see you next time.